take your Bible, turn to Psalm 52. Psalm 52. I'm going to have you get a jump start there. We're going through the life of David. We're seeing his life up close and personal. And just to bring us all up to speed, um, I haven't been here for a couple weeks. Thankful for uh, Pastor Rice and his ministry last week. Here's, here's what's gone on in David's life. So let's just, let's just bring us up to speed. So after running for his life, and he's been running for his life from King Saul, who wants to kill him because the king doesn't want to share his position. He doesn't want to turn it over to David. So David's running for his life. He lied to Ahimelech, the priest. He pretended to be insane in Gath. And then David left Gath and hid in a cave And in that cave, David was stripped down to reality. God took David right down to the bare minimum. And God was allowing him to highlight real. Do you remember this from two weeks ago? To highlight real. This is really who I am and what I'm going through and what I'm feeling right now. Not the highlight reel. This is what I want people to think of me. Because you know, God works best in our lives when we face reality than when we fake reality. Every time we fake it, he's not able to make it in our heart. And we need to get to the bottom. We need to become open to him. We need to say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. And that's what God did with David. He realized it was not his ingenuity. David realized it was not his manipulation. But God brought him right to the bottom. And then God brought a ragtag bunch of men who were outcasts. And God caused them to be his mighty men of valor. And with them, David went on to Moab and then finally to Judah which is where we're going to be finding him today. And when David was in Nob with the priest, I need to bring us up to speed on this. So earlier on with Ahimelech, David was there in Nob, and he was telling him about, he was telling Ahimelech that he was away from the king. He lied, said he's on a special mission from the king. And then he took supplies. He took the showbread, and he took Goliath's sword, and he went running. Now here's what happened there. And you can almost hear the music start to turn. And here's the verse um, from 1 Samuel 21, verse 7. Watch this. This is what was going on. So when David was talking to Ahimelech, it says this. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day. Detained before the Lord, he was Dog, the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. Can you hear the music change in the story? David was saying, hey, I'm running, I'm, I'm out, I'm on a mission. And Dog was there and he heard it. And you just know that the passage is setting up the opportunity for this Dog to show up later in a sinister fashion. And wow, does he ever show up in a nasty way. And so here's the point. Saul had men standing around him a few days later. And Saul says, does anyone know what's going on with David? Does anyone know where he is? Does anyone know what he's doing? 
And this is the passage that we're at in 1 Samuel chapter 22. You stay in Psalm 52. I'm going to read 1 Samuel 22. And we're going to be brought up to speed with what Dog said and what happened immediately following. Just to make sure our blood is going to reach our brain. Would you stand with me while I read this passage of Scripture? Your last chance to stand up. We'll stay on this together. Watch on your screen what happened in this situation for Samuel 22. But Dog, the Edomite, um, if you circle anything in your Bible, that's one to circle. He was an Edomite. Who was standing with Saul's officials said, Hey, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitub at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and all the men of his family who were the priests at Nob, and they all came to the king. Saul said this. Listen now, son of Ahitub. Yes, my lord, he answered. And Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. And Himelech answered the king, who who of all your servants is as loyal as David? The king's son-in-law. And captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household, was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech. You and your whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord. Because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king ordered Dog, you turn and strike down the priests. This is nasty, people. So Dog, the Edomite, you wonder why the text mentions that three times. Turn and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod, priests. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men, women, children, infants, cattle, donkeys, and sheep. But one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled to join David. And he told David, Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And then David said to Abiathar, that day when Dog the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I'm responsible for the death of your whole family. He said, stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You'll be safe with me. Father, this is not the easiest passage to preach. And I pray that your presence would be sensed and experienced. You would help us in our time of if only and regret to turn to only God 
our rescuer, our savior, our redeemer. God, anoint this moment together as we look in your word. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have a seat, would you? Why would Doeg do such a thing? 85 priests, all the men, women, children, all the cattle of Nob, like, what? I mean, even Saul's other men of Israel wouldn't do this. Why in the world would Doeg do this? So I'm going to give you three things really quick, just to kind of shed some light on the backdrop of this whole account. And I just want to be open with you right now. This is a hard passage to preach. Like, I put so much time into this, and I'm like, this is really difficult. In fact, I even have a commentary that I've been using on this series. They skip over this passage and go to 1 Samuel 23. And um, I I just couldn't do it. So we are going to put on our work boots and just march right on through this slog through it and we're going to see that god has something special for us why did doug do this and so here there's three reasons number one he had position he felt strong he had a chip on his shoulder he was saul's chief shepherd and so that was a big deal he had a position number two he had a veneer of religion this is really interesting because in first samuel 21 7 it says he was detained before the lord so there he was at tabernacle he was detained before the lord most likely he was going through some worship experiences let's just say today he was a churchgoer he showed up he had a special visibility in church and so people looked at him saying oh he has a veneer of religion they would think he was religious but here's number three Although he showed up at church, although people looked at him as religious, he had the heart of revenge. I like to say Dog was a man after Saul's own heart. Saul was trying to get revenge on David. Dog had a heart of revenge toward Israel. Now, mentioned in the text three times, the nationality of Dog. Let's see how many people are awake here today. Dog was an. Wow. I'm going to give you all a sticker on your way out for remembering that. He was an Edomite. And you think, what's the, what's the big deal about him being an Edomite? So he was powerful. He had this sheen of religion. But also, he had a heart far from God. He was an Edomite. So just quickly, Edomites are descendants of Esau. So let's just see the divide here, the split. There were two twins, obviously. There were twins. One was Esau. How many of you remember? The other one was Jacob. They went in two different directions. On the younger son, Jacob, was the blessing of the Lord for a future seed and generation. And his seed became the nation of of Israel. Esau, the older, who was not blessed of the Lord for this nationality and this blessed nation, he ended up going in a different direction and his 
descendants were that of the Edomites. And there had always been this hatred from the Edomites against Israel. They were always happy to enact revenge. Now, since we have snow out, we're getting close to Christmas. One of the most famous Edomites in all of Scripture that wanted to enact revenge against the Israelites was one to remember near Christmas time. His whole effort was to cut off the king of the Jews, Jesus. So interestingly enough, Dog wanted to cut off the king, future king of Israel, David. This famous king around Christmas time wanted to cut off the king of the Jews, Jesus, when he was born. In fact, he made a decree all children two and under, all boys two and under would be killed. He wanted to make sure Messiah was taken out. And that king, is this ringing a bell? That king at Christmas time was, was Herod the Edomite. Tried to take out Jesus, the king of the Jews. Here's Dog trying to do the same thing, so it makes total sense now. When you look at the picture of Dog, you say, I know why he did this. He had position. People thought of him as religious, but his heart was far from God. He was an Edomite, and so he took the sword that no one else would take, and he killed 85 priests. He killed all of the men, the children, the women, the infants, the cattle of Nob. He just took them all out without any regret because he had a heart of revenge. And here was David's, I call it, David's if-only moment. And it's in 1 Samuel 22, 22. We read it a little bit earlier. Look at it on the screen. Because when Abiathar came, Abiathar was the son of Ahimelech, Abiathar came to David. He said, they're all killed. All my family's gone. And then David said to Abiathar, that day, when Dog the Edomite was there, I knew it. I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, it's me. I'm responsible. I'm responsible for the death of your whole family. Do you imagine that? I'm responsible for the death of your whole family. David knew it. He knew Dog would blow his cover, and he felt responsible for the death of 85 priests, hundreds of women, children, men, infants, cattle. This is when things were looking down. Can you imagine that being on your shoulders, on your heart? Have you ever had an if-only moment where you're like, oh, man, why? Oh, why did I do that if only I did it differently? And if you've had those times, I've had those times, you play that game in your head. If only I knew he would cheat on me. If only I spoke up when there was abuse. Or this one. I've said it many times, if only I kept my stupid mouth shut. If only I had done more or tried more. If only I made a better decision or acted faster. And if you've had an if-only moment like I have, you know what? We end up filling up our hearts and our minds with compounded guilt and regret. And it all rests on us. If only I did this, or didn't do that, it would all be different. And now it's all blown. Now, now there's just a mess all over the place, and it's all 
on me. And now I've said if only. I'm going to share some. Most of the time it was if only I didn't say that. I've regretted. I've regretted things I've said to my wife or my kids. Man, if only. You been there? Yeah. I sat with a woman. I just want to, oh, man, I've seen the crazy if onlys. I sat with a woman who said, if only when she discovered the man she married sexually abused her child. If only. I sat with a man whose wife died in a car accident that was his fault. I sat with a spouse who had an affair. I sat with an individual who'd done a prison time. And, and you know, the if-onlys go on and on and on, and I just don't know you're sitting here this morning with an if only on your heart if only I did that or if only I didn't do that and you feel the intense regret the pain the guilt these are the low times we've all been there and in our lone low time God wants us to look up and this is the beauty that we want to finish with this morning This, if only, was a huge turning point for David's trust in God. And so he experienced this horrific event. David sits down with his pen, and he writes the very psalm right now that's in your hand, in your Bible, or on your phone, Psalm 52. So in this low moment, in the if only, he he writes Psalm 52. So if you're there, I'm going to get there right along with you, because this really exposes the perspective that we need to have in our if-only moments. And that's why we've titled this discussion this morning, Looking Up When Things Are Down. And so here's David in Psalm 52, and it begins this way. If you're there in your copy of Scriptures, I'm just going to read these phrases. It begins, before you even read verse 1, it says, For the director of music, a masculine of David, that's a contemplative writing, When Dog the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. That's when this psalm was written. So you understand the feeling and the experience of David. And so in the first five verses, David goes through and he outlines what what Ahimelech is like. And we already know what Ahimelech is like and what his decisions were. And so here's the emphasis. This is the main point of Psalm 52 that we get in the latter part of the psalm after he highlights Dog's lack of integrity and character. And this is it right here, and here's the big thing for you and for me. We need to turn our if only into only God. That needs to be our reflection and our action. Take our if only and turn it into only God. Only God will fix this. Only God in him is hope. Only God is their rescue and redemption. I am no longer the one who is going to turn this around. I'm the one that caused the problem. I need someone outside of me 
to do this. And friend, that may be your need today. In your if only, in your regret, in your guilt, instead of thinking, what can I do? David had already done that. He had lied. He acted insane. He did everything that he could do in his power. And now he says, you know what? I need God. His if only turned into only God. Read it. Look at it with me here in just a few verses. He says in verse 5, this truth He says, surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. This is David saying, God, you're the one that's going to be doing this. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, surely I'm going to come down there and enact revenge. I'm going to pluck you from your tent. I'm going to give you what you deserve. It was not a heart of revenge. He said, you know what? I'm done with all this stuff. It's a heart. It's a, it, only God. Only God. And so here's the truth, number one, that we need in our if-only moments for, to turn to our only God moment. Number one, only God will truly make things right. Only God will truly make things right. It's a view. It's a right view. God is in control. God's in control. Now, some people struggle with this. Most of us do. There's people that do their own thing. They have no care about the consequences, about anything like that, because they really don't feel God's in control. I'm going to do whatever I please. And so here, these individuals miss the reality that God says, be not deceived, God's not mocked, whatever man sows, he'll reap. There's no fear of what God can do. They really don't think God's in control, so they go and do their own thing. This is where Saul was. This is where Dog was. I, no accountability. No one will touch me. I can do my own thing. Most of us here may not be on that page. There's another side where we struggle with God's control because believers show they doubt the control of God when they take it on themselves to manipulate situations or to get revenge i don't think god can do it i don't think god's going to take care of them the way that they need to be taking care of them i'm going to be the servant of the lord and take it out on them that's when we show we don't believe that god is the one who will make things right We show we doubt God's control when we feel we need to come to the rescue. You see what happened for David? On the lamb, the most extreme injustice he could ever imagine. And David says, you know what? My if only is now going to be only God. God, you're the one that's going to make it right. You're the one that's going to turn things around. God, I'm done with manipulating things for myself. You're the one that will bring them down to everlasting ruin, not me. You're the one that will snatch them up and tear them from their tent, not me. You will uproot them from the land of the living, not me. God will make things right. Now next week, here's a little commercial for you. Next week, I preach one of the most freeing messages I could ever express to you from the life of David. 
in 1 Samuel 23. You've got to be here. If you have something else going on, cancel it. You've got to be here, people. It's been freeing for me. It'll be life for you. But one of the freeing things in our lives right now in our if-only moments, friend, is to recognize God is in control. God will truly make things right. Can I get at least one amen out there? Yeah, he will. I know we have regrets. I know we can have guilt. That's not the focus. Our focus needs to be not on the regret. It needs to be on God. God, I'm trusting you. I'm not going to manipulate. I'm not going to enact revenge. I'm not going to go for the juggler. I trust you. Here's the second thing, and I need to move through these. These are really important. Not only will he make things right, justice. He brings true renewal. He brings true renewal to our hearts. I want to give you three things, because oftentimes when we have regrets, we trust in other things. And and he mentions one of them in verse 7. He says, this is what people will say about Dog. Here now is the man who didn't make God his stronghold. Notice this. He trusted in his great wealth. Interesting. Only God brings true renewal, but but for Dog, he's saying, you know, you know what's going to be my strength? It's going to be my money. That's what's going to give me security. And David exposed it in Psalm 52, like, no, no, brother. That's not going to help you at all. That doesn't help you against God. And then he and then he noticed at the end of verse 7. Not only was there trust in his great wealth, it says, and grew strong by destroying others. So not wealth. Wealth doesn't give us this renewal. Power doesn't give us this renewal. Here's the only thing that brings this renewal. And I love the visual here. Look at verse 8 and 9. He says, but I'm like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. What you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name. And then he finishes this anthem, for your name is good. He says, I'm not going to trust my wealth to get me through. I'm not going to trust my power to get me through. God, I'm trusting in your goodness. Your name is good. You do what is right. So using wealth, using power, using revenge reveals a religion that centers on us. It's humanism. It's belief in self. My hope is in my accomplishments and what I'm going to do and get even. The true believer abandons this idea of self-reliance and finds freedom in letting God be God in our tragedy and giving hope that's based on his character. And God brings us renewal. Now, he's got this image. He's got this image. I'm not a fan of it. I would have chosen something different than an olive tree because I hate olives. We have olive lovers in here. Man, okay, we'll be praying for you. My my wife loves olives. Oh, 
So whenever we go to Olive Garden, I pick those out and give them to her. Uh, You need to see what's up with olive trees. We're not really understanding much about the olive tree because we're over here. There's not a whole lot of olive trees in northern Michigan. They can get old, and they begin to fall apart. I got some pictures for you. It's an olive tree. Old. Very few leaves on it. Hardly any fruit on it. That's the if only. I knew Doug was going to do it. That's our regrets. And if you live in your history of regrets, this is a picture of what you feel like. You with me on this? Yeah. I felt it. I felt withered, broken, no fruit, ruined. And David says, no, I was there. But instead of if only, it's only God. He's my rescue. He's my renewal. My hope is in him. He's good. And all that stuff from the past, all the questions, all the, I would have changed this. I can't. But God's in charge of my future. And he says, I'm going to be like this olive tree. And I'm going to flourish at the hand of God. I'm going to flourish in the house of God. This is a flourishing olive. Doesn't that look I mean, apart from the olives, doesn't that tree look good? Like, what? Instead of dry, dying, he's like, this is what God does for the person that says, only God. Instead of, if only. He makes me flourish. Here's a pick of the olives. You know, boom, there they are. I can get through this picture because I just imagine them being grapes. (laughs) But the reality is, friends, if only kills us, only God renews us. It's a different perspective. We see it in the life of David. See, facing tragedy doesn't mean that we must focus on it. Although it comes in our view, facing tragedy doesn't have to be our focus. And Psalm 52 shows David turned his focus from his failure to focusing on God's faithfulness despite his failures. And that's where life came from. I have a prayer for you. It was my prayer this week as I went through this. I just want to give it to you. Would you stand with me? Here's our prayer today. It's God, turn my tragedy into your triumph. Turn my if only into only God. Although I face the tragedy, God, help me not to focus on it. 
So I just want to speak into your heart. However you got to where you are, God can redeem your situation for his credit and his recognition. Just release the desire to manipulate, to seek revenge, to resort to humanistic efforts. Say, God, I'm looking only to you. Control this to your credit. I'm trusting your goodness. Trusting your faithfulness. It's a good picture of the whole story of God. It's a great picture of the cross. God, all my regrets, all my sin, all my unrighteousness, if only, but it turns into only God, only you can rescue me through Jesus and his death on the cross. That's the whole story of God. God, turn my tragedy into your triumph. God, turn my tragedy into your triumph. Would you pray that to him? God, my regrets, my if-onlys, turn them into only God. I give you control. You had it anyways. I'm not going to manipulate. I want you to be my rescuer, my redeemer, my renewal. Make me flourish. Would you pray that to God right now? Father, however we got to where we are, redeem this situation for your credit and your recognition. Free us from the guilt of the past. Free us from the passion to manipulate. Free us, God, from the burn to enact revenge to resort to humanism. God, may your control over our lives be to your credit. Make us flourish like an olive tree in the house of God. May we bear fruit, even from our failure, that people will say, that's only God. It's only God. We pray that. And thank you for the cross, the ultimate freedom from failure. Jesus bore our sin and gave us his righteousness. We embrace that. That gives us life and fruit and health. We thank you. God bless these people. May your word continue to reverb in our hearts through this week. Thank you for being God over our lives. Amen. Amen.